making a movie physically and mentally destroys you. You know, it just, it just does. It becomes such a labor of love that sometimes we neglect to look at it as a business. People lock into this idea that there is a correct way to do things. There's not. There's a million ways to do it. Video has become the most effective way to get people to do something that it is you want them to do. It's time for filmmakers to get real with Jeffrey Michael Bays and Forrest A. Jr. Yes, 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 that's right. Welcome to the podcast, Get Real Indie Filmmakers. Today is special guest Alex Ferrari from Indie Film Hustle and Indie Film Hustle TV. He is also the author of the new book, Rise of the Film Entrepreneur. And uh, it's a great book, by the way. It's uh, It will change your life. <laughs> no, I, I don't know if it will or not, but it, 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 it's a great book. Be sure to tweet us at Borges Film or email info at Borges.com. If you'd like to suggest some guests for the show or topics that we should be talking about, we are putting together a, uh, a show in the future about autism and the connection between autism and filmmakers uh, because people that think visually on the autism spectrum tend to gravitate toward filmmaking. So we want to uh, discuss that at length, and we're looking for a, a guest to have on the show to talk about that. So if you know someone, be sure to email us at info at Borgus.com. And by the way, for some reason, I have no idea why, we have doubled our listenership in the past month. So thanks for everybody that's out there subscribing on iTunes and leaving us a star rating and all of that. Every little bit helps. So thank you. So with that out of the way, let's bring on Alex Ferrari. Alex Ferrari is the creator of the new indie film Hustle TV, and he just wrote this new book called Rise of the Film Entrepreneur. So here it is, Forrest's interview with Alex Ferrari. Hi, Alex. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me back on the show, man. I appreciate it. Oh, it, great interview, by the way. Um, I listened to the interview with you and Jeffrey. I wasn't actually on that interview, but a uh, fantastic load of information. You guys talked about Distriber. We're going to talk about your mm -hmm. book. We're going to talk about your website, but give us a quick update on Distriber. So Distriber... Um you know, not not much has changed. People have been able to get access to their movies again. Uh, they've been being pulled off the uh, platform, so filmmakers have been able to get those movies back, at least control them again. There, there is no hope of them actually getting money back that they're owed. That's that that ship has pretty much sailed. Mm -hmm. uh, so at least they can get their movies back. Now they're trying to either sign deals with other distribution partners. Uh, going with other aggregators or just strictly doing a DIY thing and doing it themselves through Amazon or Vimeo or other uh, other avenues uh, to get their movies back up onto uh, onto the mark onto a marketplace mm -hmm. so they can actually sell it. But that's that's basically it right now. Next year, uh, there's some stuff that I'm working on behind the scenes. I have been working very closely with Glass Ratner, the company that did um, that took over mm -hmm. uh, distributor was hired basically by the board of directors to basically handle the bankruptcy mm -hmm. and, and handle everything. So, uh, you know, we're trying to make it as smooth as possible. It has not been easy, uh, to say the least. It's been a lot of moving parts and, uh, you know, we, we still need to find out what the hell happened and who's responsible for all this money being gone. And, uh, there's a lot of alleged things that went on behind the scenes 
that have come out publicly since our conversation. I'm not sure if it was before or after the LA Times article that I was involved with that kind of did a real deep dive expose on what happened. And there's a lot of alleged, you know, shenanigans that went on behind mm-hmm. the scenes. So in the new year, there might be uh, there might be some more criminal scenarios being brought up against uh, the people, the powers that be at Distributor that uh, knew about it or were responsible for it. Because just knowing about it and not doing anything, that's called being complicit. Yep. And you are still re- and you are still responsible. So there are many employees who were there, who will remain nameless at this moment, who knew what was going on, maybe left the company and didn't say anything, uh, and didn't protect or didn't even make a, a mention to it to to the audience or to the filmmakers that they brought in to to the company. That's still complicit. Mm-hmm. So there is uh, there is there's still talk about things that. Uh, in the new year. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But It sounds uh, like a movie in the not, making. <laughs> it's, a, it's a movie in the making you know, down the road. You know, somebody's going to jump on it. Uh, I don't know. You know what? Maybe distributor will distribute it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you never. <laughs> now there's some irony, huh? <laughs> All right. So there's your distributor update. So, and uh, now I, I want to talk about your new book, Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, did I say that correctly? Right. Yes, yeah, just like entrepreneur, entrepreneur, but film entrepreneur. Oh, okay. And That's then all. it's how to turn your independent film into a money-making business. There's a word a lot of filmmakers don't generally think of business. Talk about the book. <laughs> who should get it? Who needs it? Which filmmakers uh, is this aimed at? So this book is aimed at anyone who wants to make a living making films or series or creating video content of any sort. And they actually want to create a business around it. They want to create a a, a sustainable living around it. And it's aimed at the 30 year veteran who's been taught the old way of doing things and has no idea about the new world. And it's the fresh kid out of film school or the fresh kid out of high school who hasn't even gone into film school yet. So they could start thinking differently because when I wrote the book, I truly wanted to start a revolution and a complete mind shift in the independent filmmaking community because there needs to be, because the the rules that the studios and the distribution companies have been peddling to us, the independent film creators, for decades, those rules, first of all, were never meant to support us. They were never meant uh, to, to to benefit us in any way, shape, or form. It was always about filling the middleman's pocket. Is mm-hmm. that a fair statement to say? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So so that mentality is what filmmakers were kind of brought into this business with, old and new. And the that system is crumbling around us. There is uh, – you know, I just got back from AFM this year where I had the pleasure of speaking and I got to meet a lot of – distribution companies and sales agents and people on that side of the business because of my, um, my, uh, my exposure in, because of the stripper. So my profile was raised in that side of the business. So I got to speak to a lot of people and I just realized that two things I realized while I was there. One, nobody knows what the hell's going on. 
They really don't. Like they just don't understand how to make money anymore because their golden gooses, which was DVD and foreign pre-sales and all these things that were you know of yesteryear, they're drying up or gone. And now they're becoming – distributors are becoming more predatory in nature purely because they're becoming more desperate. So they're trying to acquire as many film titles as humanly possible, not pay a dime for them and lock those films up for 10, 15, even 20 years so they have a, a chance to try to make some revenue with it, which by the way, whatever money they make, they'll keep because of the contracts that they've put together that are completely one-sided and completely there to screw the filmmaker, generally speaking. I'm not saying all distributors. I say most distributors because like any business you walk into, the person – like if you're in the cookie business and you're buying or selling cookies, whoever is making the contract on either side of that table is going to make a contract that's going to benefit them. Fair enough. That's business 101, right? Absolutely, and they're playing on people's ego is what I think. They're playing also on people's – not only on people's ego, but you're talking about emotion. So unlike the cookie business, which I'm sure there are people very emotional about cookies, the film industry – is extremely emotional because it's an art form. So there's mm -hmm. that aspect to it. So the all these things that were real and there were ways of making money are being are just are being destroyed day by day. New technologies, new shifts in computer and consumer behavior, everything is starting to shift. But filmmakers are still making movies in the old model, and even distributors are still stuck in the old model. I would say certain things to these distributors and they would look at me like I was uh, like I was a Martian. They had no idea about these new ways of, of thinking. So, and I'm, I'll, I'll give you an example of what's happening in our industry right now, why this book uh, and, and the whole, the method that I came up with is so important to independent filmmakers today. The, the, the world is going through a devaluization of media. So it started with publishing. Mm -hmm. So that entire industry was thrown upside down. Then it went into the music industry, and now it's hitting us in the film and entertainment industry. So I'm going to go back to the music industry for a second. And at one point in time, if you if you wanted a hit song, it would cost you about $17.99 because you would have to buy the album. And you would get maybe one, two hits if you're lucky, and the rest would basically be songs that you would never listen to. Mm -hmm. fair, fair enough uh, to say? Yes, yes. So the labels used to control the access to the art. They were the middlemen. They were the gatekeepers. Then, uh, you know, and that's it. And that went that went along with tapes. That went along with CDs. But then something was invented called the MP3. The mm -hmm. MP3 technology showed up, and then Napster showed up. That really threw a lot of gas on that fire. And all of a sudden, what used to cost me arguably hundreds if not thousands of dollars, I could download in 20 minutes. So I could download the entire Beatles catalog. In 30 minutes, in high definite, like wonderfully sounding, great, organized with with uh, covers and images, everything within 30 minutes with mm -hmm. a good internet connection. So now, what was once had to be, you know, one song was 17.99, let alone an entire catalog of an artist like the Beatles, which would arguably probably cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Now I could get for free. So now the value dropped dramatically. So, of course, the industry, like all industries, um, the people that are, are in power, they don't want to lose their power. So they will fight against change. They will fight against the new technology, just like Blockbuster did. I have a whole section in my book about Blockbuster and how not 
to be blockbuster mm-hmm. in their mentality. So all industries, if it wasn't the taxi drivers with Uber, the hotel industry with Airbnb, uh, all of these all these industries are always up upended by technology, and a lot of them they always fight. So what did the the music industry do? They sued their customer. They sued them for downloading illegally. So they mm-hmm. sued kids. I remember so that. Not a, not a really good PR move and not a real good way to build a relationship. So then what happened? All of a sudden, there was another new technology that came on called an iPod. And Steve Jobs said, hey, music industry, I've got this new technology. It's called the iPod. Everyone's really bought, loves it. And they're listening to a thousand songs in their in their pocket. But most of those songs, actually all of those songs are illegally downloaded or ripped from your CDs. So I think we need to come up with a better situation. So he, he said something extremely important. He says, you can't fight piracy. You just can't. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not a, it's not a battle you can win, but you can compete with it. So if you make it easy enough and convenient enough for the consumer, they will not go to a pirated option because that option exists for anybody with an internet connection. So what the, the, what he did is he created the iTunes store, but then he changed the game and he said, all songs are 99 cents. He's like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? That destroys our entire business model. And, and he said, well, your entire business model is pretty much destroyed right now. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to change or get off, get, get on the bus or get left behind. And they did. And they allowed the industry itself allowed an outsider to come in and take over, basically write the rules about how, their business should be run, which really an industry shouldn't allow to do, but they had no choice. So then after that, what happened? Then Pandora, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, all of those streaming services started popping up. And now what used to cost 99 cents, which by the way, 99 cents would really be 70 cents after Apple took their 30%. And then after the label took their percentage, maybe if you're lucky, a nickel or a dime mm-hmm. for the for the artist per song, right? Yep. So we're still we're we're, we're now we're talking about pennies. Remember, we're we're in the penny world right now. Yeah. In music, but then Spotify shows up and said, "Hey guys, for nine ninety nine, you get access to all music, all music. You mm-hmm. have access to the entire history of music." for 99 9.99 a month. So now that one song that used to cost 17.99 is now worth a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a penny. So it's essentially worthless. The only value there is in music is in the collection, is in the catalog, is in the access to all of it. That is the value is the catalog, not the individual song. The individual song no longer has value. So YouTube changed that, you know, with access to music videos for free because now people can listen to music for free and not free like the radio where you would have to wait for their, your favorite song to come up or request it. It's instant mm-hmm. and it's international. So it's worldwide. So this is what happened to that industry. So now for, for musicians to actually make a living because before musicians can make a living selling albums, you know, and then the tours that they used to do were to sell albums, were to promote the album sales where now it's completely been turned upside down, where now the album sales are essentially there to promote, um, to promote the album, to promote the tours, to promote the merch, to promote uh, all the other things that they do. And what are, what the smart musicians are doing now is they are making money touring. They're making money merch. They're making money with uh, sponsorships and access to themselves. So like for 150 bucks, 
you can get uh, a picture of behind, you know, go backstage and get a picture and an autograph. And that's how they're making their money. And they're making their money. It's harder. It's harder to make their money now. It, before it wasn't as hard, but now it's harder. So those are the smart musicians. And now the world has gotten to a place where even YouTubers who do cover, cover, so, you know, they're cover artists. They're Post basically doing covers jukebox. of other. Exactly. They now have millions of followers mm -hmm. and they are going on tour and then, and they're not even, bar they're barely making, they're barely creating anything new. They're just doing their, but they become personalities. They're just basically covering other artists' songs, but that's a business now. But you see how the, the, the shift changed in the music industry. So right now we are in the stage in, in the film industry where the artist is not, hasn't figured it out yet. The independent artist hasn't figured it out. The studios have started to figure it out, but unfortunately, for better or worse, the studios are not going to be around in the next five years the way we see them today. That I can promise you. Disney's going to survive. Warner Brothers is going to survive, and maybe Universal will survive and won't get eaten up by somebody. But Paramount, Sony, Lionsgate, they, they don't have the, the depth of what the others do. And they don't have the infrastructure of the film entrepreneurial model that Disney Warner brothers have specifically and a bit more with universal. And what do I mean by the film entrepreneurial model? Disney basically is Walt Disney was basically the godfather of the film entrepreneurial model, which is the second that they released a short film with a Mickey, the guy named Mickey mouse today, as we're speaking right now, someone somewhere, Purchased a toy, a T-shirt, a hat, something that has Mickey Mouse on it, and Disney just got paid. Mm -hmm. So that's an ancillary product line. And then Snow White was the next big one. And now someone right now, as we're speaking, bought a T-shirt that has Snow White on it. That's from the 30s. Yeah. that's yeah. We're getting close to over 100 years ago. And this corporation is still making money off of those, those uh, IPs. Filmmakers need to understand that the reason why Disney, by, by the way, do you know how much Disney made at the box office this year? They broke the record. I, 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 I have no clue, but it's got to be huge because I, I'm going to use Frozen, uh, Frozen 2 for an example. That movie got released and, with, and that day you couldn't walk into a store without seeing mm -hmm. Frozen sure. t-shirts, yeah. drinks, yep. uh, anything, uh, toys everything it, it's got to be billions <laughs> i don't know millions so the box so the just the theatrical box office from disney this year was 10 billion okay 10 billion dollars they broke the record Sick okay money. but wait a minute but that's not but that's not the funny part how much do you think the corporation the walt disney company made gross this year which is also a record year uh, i I could only guess at numbers, but the, they have 70, 70 billion dollars. So I went into their corporate filings and I wanted to see where they're getting their money from. So the top person, the, the biggest thing that they make their money on parks and uh, parks and resorts. That's mm -hmm. number one. Yep. But in that parks and resorts number, there's merch. Don't forget, they sell a lot oh, yeah. of merchandise in those parks, resorts, uh, cruise lines, all that stuff. Second thing they make their big money on, networks and cable and channels. So Disney Channel, ESPN, uh, now Disney Plus, all of that is in there. The third is actual box office returns, like actual money from the exploitation 
of the film itself. Okay. The, the, the exhibition of those films, that's where they make the money. And then, th and then the lastly was merch, merchandise, uh, products and things like that. But don't forget a big part of the very front end of that was in their parks and resorts. So set like, what is it? 80%, 75% of all of the money that the, the Walt Disney company generates is not from the actual exploitation of the film itself. The access to the media is not a way that they're making their money. Mm -hmm. They're yeah. using other avenues. They're using other product lines, other revenue streams, other services to generate revenue. That is why every other studio in Hollywood is chasing Disney. Because Disney figured this out 20 odd years ago. And they've been slowly building up this infrastructure where now they're a massive machine that will not that cannot be stopped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they just own they they bought all the IPs, they bought all the so now they're so like George Lucas said years ago, it's a it's the money's in the lunchbox, stu stupid. I mean, that's that's where that's where the the money is. So they figured this all out. So why am I explaining all of this for independent filmmakers? That's all great. That's the giant Mount you know Mount Hollywood, and that's where the gods live. And everyone's making billions of dollars. How about the independent filmmaker? Well, I wanted to create a method that brought the same understanding of how to how to use media, how to use movies, how to use television series, and you as an independent filmmaker to generate revenue, multiple revenue streams outside of the traditional way of doing things. Because the day of me making a movie for $500,000 and then going to a distributor and that distributor giving me either an MG, which is a minimum guarantee, or um, or just taking it and trying to exploit it outside of you know worldwide and then giving me a check that's going to either recoup my money or make me a profit is becoming hard. That window is closing cl closer, closer and closer to be gone every single day. It is extremely difficult unless there's many elements that have to be in place for something like that to work. And I've just seen it too many times. So because the value of the, of the actual medium is going down to barely nothing or, or literally I was at AFM, there was movies that cost half a million dollars that had zero market value. Mm -hmm. that, zero mar that had zero market value, meaning that they were worthless. They, they, they wouldn't make a dime. No one would give them a dime for it. Mm -hmm. And nor did they have a way of generating any revenue with it because they weren't thinking like film entrepreneurs. They were thinking of the old model. So all of these companies who their entire business model is based on the old way of doing things, which is the pure exploitation of the medium, of the movie, the access to the movie, those days are gone. Because now we, when was the last time you rented a movie? Ha. Uh, I don't know, 15 years ago. Okay, so even digitally, you haven't rented a movie on iTunes no, or Amazon or anything? No, no, no I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I, I gotta say, I don't even have Netflix. Um, I'm a DVD guy, so I'll- Okay, so you're, I, you're, you're, you're still buying DVDs. I'm an old guy. I, I will still buy a DVD because I like the physical medium and I know I'm a dinosaur. I know it. No, and that's and that's completely fine. And in your generation, as as in my generation, we're probably similar vintages. Um, we under we we were raised with physical media. So mm -hmm. I I I've left physical media behind pretty much. I don't buy. I haven't bought a DVD or Blu-ray 
in forever. Mm-hmm. It's just not something I do anymore. But there's generations behind us that were raised completely on free media, meaning YouTube mm-hmm. or the concept of Netflix or streaming. They, you know, they don't understand that you had to pay for this access. Right. You had to go pay for this. It, 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 it doesn't make any sense to them. They're like, well, look, for 10 bucks, I'll get everything. Like, why would I pay 10 bucks for a DVD? That makes no sense to me. And it doesn't. And it really doesn't. I mean, mm-hmm. if you could have access to 40,000 movies for 10 bucks, or you can have access to one movie for 10 bucks, it just yeah. doesn't make any no sense. No brainer. No brainer, right? So that is where the world is going. And it's, excuse me, that's not where the world is going. That is the world where the world is. So filmmakers, unfortunately, are making movies with this mentality in mind. Independent filmmakers are making this 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 mentality in mind. So the film entrepreneur method is built to show you how to create ancillary revenue streams and and potential services you could provide around your movie. And how do you do that? So again, I'm sure someone out there is listening. Like that sounds great, Alex. It's oh, how the hell is my little ten thousand dollar uh, feature film going to make any noise? How am I going to get any attention for it? How am I, I'm, I don't have a hundred million dollars to market it all over the place. So how am I going to, how am I going to get any attention for it in the marketplace, which is so diluted and there's so much great content out there and there's an ocean of content being dumped on us on a daily basis. And the streaming wars haven't even gotten into full steam yet. Wait till next year when the next three big streaming services come out and we're really going to be diluted with, with mm-hmm. options. How is the independent filmmaker going to make anything happen? The one word I'm going to use is the niche. The riches are in the niches. So let me explain to that. Let me explain it to you. So if you're making, and I use this in the book, The Vegan Chef Movie. If you're making a movie about a romantic comedy, if you try to make a broad spectrum romantic comedy, you're going to fail. I don't care if you have a million dollars, you're going to fail. Because if I had the opportunity to watch a romantic comedy that's with big stars in it, or even rewatch an old romantic comedy yep. like When Harry Met Sally or Sleepless in Seattle or you know Big Fat Greek Wedding or any of these other bigger movies uh, that I know, would I spend the next hour and a half on an unknown, or would I expect the next hour and a half on something I've already watched? And which is, by the way, which is mm-hmm. and the other three that I just mentioned, I could probably get on one of my streaming services for free. Yeah. Yeah. So why would I spend money on your romantic comedy that just looks generic? But if you turn that into a vegan chef movie, a vegan, a vegan chef romantic comedy. And I, when I say vegan chef, I have a movie I made up in the book called Crazy Sexy Vegan, where yeah. a vegan chef, a vegan chef meets a meat eating barbecue champion and they fall in love and all hell breaks loose. And it writes it writes itself. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, I, I get the idea. So now all of a sudden you have a movie that you can target to a specific group. Now, you should have been cultivating this audience six months prior to even making the movie while you're writing it. You should be building this audience up. And by the way, you should also be passionate about what you're doing. Like if you're – you know, if you go to McDonald's every day and you want to make a vegan movie, that's probably not going to work out for you. Mm-hmm. You really need to be authentic about whatever that is. And that could be whatever you're passionate about. So are you passionate about surfing, skateboarding, backs, basket weaving? Now, I know people like basket weaving. I'm like, look, if you make a movie for basket weavers around the world, what's the audience? 
Who is the audience? How many people are in that audience? Can you reach that audience? And if you can reach 10,000 people who are really into, ba- I mean, like are passionate about basket weaving, like crazy, ba- I mean, there's crazier things in the world, but people who are crazy about basket weaving, can you make a movie for $1,000 to target that audience? Could you? I, 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 could. I oh, of course. So then that all of a sudden, now, now the audience dictates your budget. So you need to make sure that the niche that you're uh, trying to attract can validate or justify the budget you're going to spend. So I'll use an example of my latest movie on the corner of Ego and Desire, which is a film about three filmmakers who travel to Sundance to try to sell their movie to a producer and they're going all around Sundance trying to chase down this producer. Now this is, it was a movie that I shot in four days, shot it for about $3,000 at the Sundance Film Festival without any permission, guerrilla style. Mm-hmm. And I, I made it for three grand. Now that movie as can't be any more perfectly designed for my audience if I tried. Like it's just perfectly aligned with my audience, which are filmmakers. And because that product, that film is so aligned with every, every in, instinct of my audience, I know I was going to be able to do it. Could I make that same movie for $100,000? I don't know. I probably wouldn't do that. That's probably not a good way to make money with that, a movie mm-hmm. like that. I need a broader, I need something broader. But could I make money on $3,000? I've already made money with this. And I haven't even released the movie because I'm already using other ancillary product lines and things that I've already done with the movie before the movie has ever even been released. So the book I use, I use in the book, I have multiple case studies uh, from all sorts of filmmakers, but I use On the Corner of Ego and Desire as a, a case study two or three times in the book. And just by putting it in the book, that's creating a new revenue stream for me based off the off the movie. And I haven't even released the movie yet. It really it comes out January twenty first, a few days before Sundance, oddly enough. <laughs> and um, and but that so that is the new world that we live in. And now, if you can make these lower budget, niche films where you then start creating multiple product lines, multiple revenue streams, multiple services you can provide. And in the book, I go over. It's not just about hats and t-shirts. That's one category. There's multiple ways you could do uh, and build product lines, revenue streams, uh, services for a film. And I have a lot of case studies in, in regards to people who have like independent filmmakers who had one film and turned it into a multi-million dollar business off of one film by doing that at the point where they give the movie away for free. They just don't, they don't care about it because they're using it as a loss leader. They're using it as advertisement for their products, for their services, Mm -hmm. for the other things that they've created. That is the future of independent filmmaking. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. Just like the musicians didn't like it when the album sales dried up, guess what? We're going to go through this. We're going through the same process right now. And if you don't like it, you can bitch, you can moan, or you can get on the bus. Either way, it's going to either run you over or you're going to get on the bus and take it for a ride. Mm-hmm. It's and, and I'm I, I'm being as straightforward and raw about it because I want anyone who's listening to understand this is not a what if. This is not theoretical. This is happening right now. Look at all the articles being written. Look at all the videos being said. There is a major shift happening in the independent film world right now, and people don't know what the hell to do. They just don't. Filmmakers are lost, and I speak to them all the time. They don't know what to do with their movie. Like Alex, I, just, I got this movie. I'm like, what did you, did you think about your audience? Do you have any other products around it? Do you thinking about like 
and they don't. And sometimes I just have to tell them, I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you, man. You spent a half a million dollars on a black and white drama about a local, a local kid gone good. And that's great. So then the only thing you can do with that movie is maybe do the regional cinema model where you then build your audience or your niche is your local town because that's where your audience lives. And Mm -hmm. then you can build it from there. That's another option. So it doesn't matter if it's an art house film that costs a thousand dollars or a genre movie that is a little bit more broad. Everything I talk about in the book can be applied to anything all the way from the thousand dollar to a hundred million dollar movie. Because a $100 million movie, these guys are already doing that. But their infrastructures are a little bit different. Disney has that infrastructure. Warner Brothers has it, you know, but not as much as Disney. And, you know, all these kind of things. But I brought it down to the indie level. I wanted to give everybody tools that they could use right now. And everything, and a lot of the, ter- the tools and services that I, I, I talk about in the book to, like, help you with your product creation or course creation or digital product creation and all these things – they're very affordable or even free to start. So it's doable for anybody that can pick up a camera. And that is the other thing that before the big barrier of entry to making a movie was making the movie. Like that was the big gargantuan mm-hmm. you know, thing to do. Now that's the easier part to do, honestly. Yeah, yeah, because it is. If Everybody, everybody has, a, everyone has an iPhone. You can make, anybody can make a movie now almost. I mean, seriously, a good movie is, is relative. I'm just saying. Right. You got to have a good story. Um, they're story, making equipment, the, the equipment, yeah. like you say, uh, you can get stabilizers for iPhones now that really look cinematic. The iPhone, you know, 11 it is, you know, claims to be super cinematic. So mm-hmm. you're, you're so correct on the fact that, the stuff is there. You just need the story. But I love what you're saying about the ancillary products and the and and you see it with music. Um, there's a musician, Joe Bonamassa. Uh, he's a blues mm-hmm. musician. I get his email, and, and in his email, he sells Joe Bonamassa pins. And you were you made me think of this when you're talking about Disney. If you go to Disney, one of their big things is pins, pin trading. Yep. Yep. And you, you go, and every kid wants to buy 20 pins so they can trade with everybody. Well, Joe Bonamassa in his email, he sells pins of guitars, all the different guitars. And, and he's, it's, as you're speaking, I'm realizing this guy's following Disney's model to a degree. All, all, all of the, look, the, the film entrepreneurial model is basically just being an entrepreneurial artist. Yes. So it, it could be a musician, like look, book, book uh, publishers are the same thing. So I'm I'm a book publisher now. So I've published my this my this is my second book. So I I self-published this book. So I learned uh I learned so much self-publishing my own book yeah. that I will arguably never work with a publisher again unless it's a monster publisher that's going to give me a lot of money up front and and expose you know and raise my my public person you know my public um uh, persona or whatever my brand and and put me in places that I can't get to. And th- then there's a conversation to be had there because mm-hmm. uh, they have resources that I don't have. But generally like a, a low level or mid-level, not why, why, why? It, they make, it makes no sense. It's the same thing as going with a, a, a mid-level or low-level distributor if you can do it yourself or figure out ways to do it yourself. Now in the book, I also talk about partnering with distributors. And that's the way you have to look at it, a partnership. Not you're the only way I can make money. You've got to walk in there with some leverage. 
So you just got to go, look, if you don't want to do it, like, let me see your, your terms. No, I don't want to do it for that. I'm, I, I, I'm not going to do that. This is my terms. If you don't like it, I'll move on. And you know what? You have leverage. Most filmmakers don't have any leverage. Because if you walk in with a distributor and you and you go, oh, I've, I've, already, I've already made my money back. Um, I'm generating five, six grand a month off this. What can you do for me? Do you see how that conversation is so much different? Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, where can you, where can you get it that I'm not already getting it? What, yeah. what can you, what value can you provide me? Put That's yourself the way you in have a, to look you, at it. You got to be in power. You got to be in the position of power and, uh, you know, by doing it yourself. And some people can't do it themselves though. I, there are people, um, who, who can't do many things by themselves. I deal with people, you know, I'm like, I see people struggle with simple things every day. I can only imagine what some people would, you know, publishing a book, you know? Yeah. I mean, I published, I published the book. I did my own audio book for it. Mm -hmm. um, I had to learn. I taught myself. I taught myself the pro. I just learned the information's out there. So I learned how to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, I do have a lot of tools in my toolbox and I'm not a newbie about things, but it can be done. And if you can't do it yourself, you can surround yourself or partner with people that can help you, yep. you know, that are not, you know, outside. But the key of this whole thing is that you need to control your revenue streams. So if you control your revenue streams, then that are outside of the business, by the way, outside of the old world model, the old school model, if you can get away from that model and you can control, like if you can control t-shirts, hats, Lunch boxes. I use in inside inside um, in the book. I I talk about horror the horror niche, which is such a valuable niche, because that audience not only loves the the content of movies, but they also love physical media. So they like VHSs. They yeah. like DVDs. They love lunch boxes. They love T-shirts. So I told one guy that was a, a horror uh, had a horror film he made for fifty grand. I'm like, um, why don't you go to horror conventions? There's hundreds of them around the country. He's like, you're right. I'm like, yeah, you have a great poster. Put it on a T-shirt. Now, could you sell that T-shirt for 25 bucks at a horror convention because the T-shirt is just cool? He's like, yeah, I probably could. Could you sell that same T-shirt and a copy of it on DVD for 30 bucks? And he's like, you know, I probably could. Mm -hmm. Could you sell 100 of those over the course of a weekend? He goes, I probably could. I'm like, that's three grand. Yeah. That's three grand, dude. Yep. I'm not saying it's easy. Another thing I'm saying here is easy. Once you build up these systems, once you build up these revenue streams, some of them will be more passive than others. Some of them you're going to have to go out and hustle. But guess what? That is the new world that we are in. And if you don't like it, complain all you want. But while you're complaining, I'm going to go make two or three other movies. <laughs> and I'm going to be making money with those and, and serving my audience and being providing value to the audience in the niche that I'm trying to cultivate or um, provide value to filmmakers. You know, I've known a lot of filmmakers who, who only want the glory. Mm -hmm. They only want, they only want the red carpet. They only want the Instagram shots. They all want the, the, the million dollar checks. I want to just write them a check so they can just be an artist. That's great. And that's wonderful. And if you want to do that, God bless you, man. Yeah. But unfortunately this business is not that anymore. And I don't think it ever was, but nowadays there's so much competition. There's, it's so brutal, even for the professional people, quote unquote, professional filmmakers, filmmakers who've been doing this for decades are having problems. Martin Scorsese could not get the Irishman financed by any studio. Mm -hmm. 
They couldn't get it financed. They couldn't get it financed. But Netflix said, this makes sense to us. And they're going to do really, really, really well with it. They did, I think they said 40 million people watched it in the first week Mm -hmm. in the US alone. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, they, they're doing pretty good with it, but their business model is different. Amazon's business model. I wanted to ask you something. Do you, do you know, have you realized what kind of movies and series Amazon is producing and purchasing? Have you, have you just kind of looked at their catalog? Well, I, I, I know more Netflix from my family, like stranger things and sure, sure, uh, sure. That, that's huge. And I see the, the, the products out there, but I don't really know what Amazon is focusing on. So Amazon focuses on movies like The Big Sick. Um, they're doing shows like Bosch and Transparent, which are very kind of a little bit. They're not to the lowest common. They're not built for the lowest common denominator. They're intelligent mm-hmm. shows. They're intelligent cinema. They're bordering on art house films. That new boy, Honey Boy, the new movie, Honey Boy, the Shia LaBeouf movie about when he was a kid. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was bought by Amazon. That's an Amazon Studios movie. That's a very indie kind of, you know, outside the box movie. This is a major company. This is a hundred billion plus dollar company. So why are they focusing on that, on the, on those kind of films where Netflix isn't? Netflix is trying to do everything. They do Stranger Things. They do kind of quirky stuff. They do. They're all over the place. Mm-hmm. But why does Amazon do that? The reason why is because their business model is about selling stuff. They don't care. They don't, they're not making the money specifically on the movies. Yep. They're using movies to get you on their platform. And while you're on their platforms, you're going to buy some socks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is what they're doing. And people don't understand this. So you have to think about why, what's the business model. So Amazon's business model is completely different than Netflix's business model. But Apple now is starting to copy Amazon's business model with Apple TV. Apple TV that just came out, yep. it's, a, it's, it's five bucks, right? So it's essentially free. And if you buy any Apple product, you get it a, a year for free. So, and, then, and if you get it for free, you can give five of them away for free. I don't know if you knew that. You can give five memberships away to f- your fam- family and friends. I, I did not know that. So why are they doing that? Because they're using Apple TV – Plus or Apple Plus T whatever Apple TV Plus yeah to get you to come into their ecosystem. Once you're in their ecosystem, you're gonna buy what their uh, phones, iPhones, computers, iMacs, yep. iPads. That is what it's about, and it, so that's their business model. They're using media. They're using the film entrepreneur method on a grand scale. They're using media. Not just movies they're producing, but movies that not only they're producing as a company, but movies they're purchasing, series they're purchasing to get that kind of customer in to sell them other products, other goods, other services. Mm-hmm. So that's why Amazon and Apple and Disney are in a lot better shape than Netflix is. Even though Netflix is the 800-pound gorilla in this space, mm-hmm. Netflix is not diversified. They have one revenue stream, which is subscriptions. That is their major revenue source. Right. So right. if that dries up, the company goes down. Mm-hmm. If if Disney Plus goes away tomorrow, Disney will be fine. If Apple Plus goes away tomorrow, Apple will be fine. If Apple uh, if Amazon Prime go, uh, Prime movies go away tomorrow, 
they're good. Do you see the difference? I so do. I, I'm, try, I'm trying to bring, I'm try, and I'm saying all of this stuff so, so the listeners can really understand the business side of what we're trying to do here. And I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it more on the grand scale with these big companies, but the concepts are exactly the same for the independent. Mm-hmm. They're exactly the same for the independent. So you have to understand that it's not about the movie anymore. The movie is a way to generate revenue through other avenues. And on better for better or for worse, whether you like it or not, this is the only way you will be able to survive as an independent filmmaker moving forward. There will always be outliers. There will always be the one guy who makes a movie for 10 grand and gets bought. I think those are less and less nowadays. Um, because even, even those stories I can count on two hands over the last two decades, mm-hmm. how many times that's happened. So they're lottery tickets, but there always will be that one exception that the, that the studios and the distribution companies and the, and the business will prop up to go, look, 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 this is it. Cause they want you to keep going down this road. They want you to keep creating products that they can get for free and not have to pay you. This is a perfect business model. Am mm-hmm. I wrong? Yeah, no, and they want new crops of filmmakers to come in, to listen to this crap, to go down this same road, and then just basically at the end of it, they're like, "Well, there's no other way of making money, so I guess I'm going to have to give it to this studio, or I'm going to have to give it to this, to this, um, this distribution company because I don't know what else to do. There are no other options." Right. And that's what the that's what the business wants. They without this fresh blood, the business comes crashing down. But I'm here to try to change that. I'm here to try to educate filmmakers, old and new, that there is another way to actually do this. There is another way to think about how to make a movie. And I have a whole chapter in my book called Art Versus Commerce, where I know that's a conversation that gets brought up all the time. We're like, well, I'm, I'm an artist. I don't want to think about the business. I'm like, that's fine. If you don't want to think about the business, you don't have to. But you have to understand that your paintbrush is expensive. And you've got to generally collaborate with other people to make your art. And that costs money. Now, you can go make your movie for 1000 or 3000 bucks, like I did with my movie, really low, paid everybody something, got it done in four days, and we're out the door. And I did it. And that was an experimental film, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was an experimental film. Even though I was using the film entrepreneurial method, it was still a very experimental thing. If you want to do that, do it. If you want to make a movie about how your mom and dad met and shoot it in black and white, go for it. Go for it. But understand that your audience is pretty much in your house. Or if you can build a story up, maybe it could, go, could grow after that. But if you think you're going to go down the festival circuit and do all that kind of stuff like they did back in the 90s and someone's going to pick it up, you're, you're delusional. That's <laughs> not – there's too much content. And it's not just content. A lot of it's really good. Really good. Do you know how much um, like Disney's pl- planning to spend on content for Disney Plus by in the next five years? I do not. Forty billion dollars. Forty That's... billion dollars. And, and and Netflix has spent. They spent fifteen billion this year. They're spending eighteen billion next year. Amazon is spending about five to six billion. Uh, Apple is, sp- is spending about five to six billion. The second that Apple really wants to throw their hat in the ring, which they're they're the eight thousand pound gorilla. They're the ones that have so much cash they don't even know what to do with it. If yeah. they want to just drop a hundred billion dollars one year on content, they could, and not even blink. 
That's how big they are. So you're competing with that. That's what you're competing with because we only have so many hours in a day. There's only so much content that you or I can consume in a single day or in a single year, not to mention the library of stuff. Like I just literally just started watching a show called Shameless that's been around for a decade. It's a mm-hmm. Showtime show with William H. Macy, which apparently is amazing, and it is amazing. I'm on episode four. It's great. Okay. It took me It took me 10 years to get here. Do, do you see my point? I, yeah. I just I, I just started, I just caught up to Ray Donovan, which was another show, which I heard was really good. I'm like, oh, let me give it a shot because I've run out of things on my playlist right now. So this is the next thing. And, I, and that was seven years old. Mm-hmm. It's taking forever to catch up to the, and there's still just tons of shows and tons of movies that I will not probably ever get to. That's what you're competing with as an independent filmmaker. So I hope that the book really does shift the mind of the filmmaker, the independent filmmaker, and actually sparks a revolution in the way we make movies. There has to be a shift in the way we approach this problem. If we're if we're going to survive the streaming wars, because we're just the small little guys in the while the giants are battling, we're the small guys. But there's a lot of us. There is a lot of there's much more of us than they are of them. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot more. Like, look, how many movies were submitted to Sundance this year? Fifteen thousand features <laughs> and shorts. Yeah, fifteen thousand this year. Uh, last year it was twelve thousand two hundred. Just so you know. So they, so and next year there'll be another three thousand, and so on and so on. There's so much content being created worldwide, and don't forget this is not a U.S. thing anymore. Mm. Worldwide, emerging markets are coming up all the time. So, the only thing that's gonna that the only fighting chance we have is the film entrepreneurial model and the power of the niche, the emotional connection that you can create with an audience. By the by, connecting to a niche is what will cut through the hundred billion dollars worth of marketing that the studios throw at us every day. Because if you have if something that you're really passionate about comes through your feed, and you go, oh wait a minute, there's a movie about some filmmakers trying to sell their movie at Sundance. I want to see how that was shot. Oh, I've never been to Sundance. I want to see what that's like. It's going to jump to the top of your list if you're a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. As a and you'll watch the Avengers. You'll watch The Mandalorian. Don't worry, it'll get you'll get to it. But that's you're gonna you're gonna get really high priority on that person's watch list, and that is the only way you're gonna be able to uh, to cut through all the noise. Where do people get the book? I know obviously Amazon, but you have a website too. Yeah, so the the website uh, that I set up for it is filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. And it takes you to film, the Film Entrepreneur website. And there you have links to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and Audible. And if you want to download bo- the book on Audible. And just as a side hustle, because there's a whole chapter on side hustles, as a side hustle, so I want you to understand how I'm changing how I approach selling books. If you do not have an uh, an account on Audible, you can download the book for free. So if you click on my link on uh, on that website, Sign up for Audible for free for 30 days and download my book. You can download the book for free. If you want to stay on Audible afterwards, great. If you want to cancel, that's fine too. But you could then download my book and listen to it for free. I get paid when you sign up for free 
on them, I get a commission. And then I also get my royalty once you download my book. So I'm getting paid twice for my book while I'm still providing you a free opportunity to listen to it. That is the film entrepreneurial method in action. Cool. And now we've <laughs> gone nearly an hour. Uh, yeah. We got to do another interview uh, because I do want to talk about your your other website. Indi yeah. Indie Film Hustle. Yes. Um, so plug that real quick before we wrap. Yeah. So um, Indie Film Hustle is the main hub for everything I do uh, with my company, IFH Industries. Uh, I have Indie Film Hustle, Bulletproof Screenwriting, which is a, a, my, another, my other brand for screenwriters. And then, of course, Filmtrepreneur.com is uh, for everyone thinking about and wanting to think more about the business side of the film industry. And uh, there's podcasts for all three of those. So there's a podcast for Indie, for Bulletproof, and for Filmtrepreneur. But film, uh, IndieFilmHustle.com is the hub for everything. You could probably reach everything there. If you're looking to uh, looking for a consultant or me to speak at a school or an event, you could always go to alexferrari.com. All my, my stuff is there as well. And I also have the world's first streaming service for independent filmmakers and screenwriters and content creators called IFH TV or Indie Film Hustle TV. And that's available at ifhtv.com or indiefilmhustle.tv. And that's available on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, uh, uh, um, iPhone, Android, everywhere. So I'm the first real streaming service dedicated to it. And there's just thousands of hours of education, movies about making movies, uh, documentaries about making movies and screenwriting. Just uh, it's, it's basically a nirvana for, for filmmakers and screenwriters. So, and I can keep talking, but that's, 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 that's where we'll stop. <laughs> yeah, you got uh, uh, my last question. Do you ever sleep? <laughs> no, I haven't slept since 1987. Oh so, man. Okay. No, that's not true. Um, no, I do. I do sleep. I do sleep. I, I clock out. Look, I clock out at six o'clock every day to spend time with my family. Uh, I meditate an hour to two hours a day. Uh, I work, I wake up at four, four fifteen in the morning to go work out. So I get everything in, I get everything in and I try to create a schedule that works for me. I, I always think I don't work hard enough, believe it or not. I always want to do more, Yeah, but that's just me. That's the but, entrepreneurial uh, way of thinking. You know, yeah, you're I not just done I just, at three thirty. You're, you know, three thirty is just the time. You know, <laughs> I just, I, but I love what I do. I, I provide, I provide a, a service. I provide value to my audience. I try to inspire them. I try to educate them uh, as much as humanly possible, and I try to help them along their path. I'm so passionate about it, as you can hear it in my voice, that I, I love what I do. I, you know, I really. Don't, I love the grind. I love the grind of this because mm -hmm. my, my podcast is up, is getting close to 400 episodes. My first podcast, mm -hmm. uh, Indie Film Hustle. So I've been doing this for a while now. I love doing it. And you know, you're a podcaster. It's, it's not easy to keep the thing up to no, do podcast week. I do, I do three to four podcasts every week, mm -hmm. depending on the week. So, and I've been doing that consistently now for close to five years. So I love what I do. You can't do that just for the sake of, you know, you have to have a love for it. And yes. I do. Yep. So passion. I, I, I hope the passion comes through and I really do want this book to spark that revolution. I want people to really start thinking differently about how they can, how they can make movies and how they can survive in this, you know, sometimes brutal business. And I hope this gives them the tools to do it. Well, it's inspirational. Just listening to you talk. I thank you so much for coming on again and we're going to have yeah. you on again. 
<laughs> you let me know when you want me to come back on. I'm always, I, as you can tell, I, I I have no problem talking. Yeah, Jeffrey, <laughs> Jeffrey, who's not on the interview now, he's going to kill me. You went an hour. I, how am I going to edit that? But that's okay. Loaded with information. I love it, Alex. Thank oh, you thank for you so thank you so much for coming on and and teaching us all this. I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. And again, thank you too for uh, the good work you guys are doing with your podcast and, and your work that you're doing, getting uh, getting the good information out to the filmmakers as well, man. So I appreciate it. We're all in it together, man. So thanks again. Yeah, and thank you. I appreciate that. Get Real Indie Filmmakers is created by Forrest A. Jr. and also the host of Rolling Tape on YouTube and by Jeffrey Michael Bays, author of Suspense with a Camera and Between the Scenes, available in bookstores now. Get Real Indie Filmmakers is a production of Borges Networks. 